0: Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast, presented by Cowboy Golf. Ryan Ladner, soon to be joined by Rex Hoggard, who is on site at the Houston Open. In this week's episode, we will talk about the new DP World Tour. That is the new name for the rebranded European Tour, beginning with the 2022 season. We will look back quickly at Mayakoba last week, won by Victor Hovland. Rex is on site in Houston, so we'll get all the news and nuggets from there and a whole lot more, whatever else we're going to get to in this episode. But first, Callaway's Apex irons deliver an extraordinary level of forged performance and craftsmanship. The first forged irons designed with artificial intelligence for faster ball speed and improved consistency. Increased forgiveness comes from a massive tungsten energy core, and the enhanced shaping leads to better turf interaction. In short, these irons are engineered to deliver superior performance with iconic feel, on every swing apex set the standard in a player's distance category for more on the apex family of irons visit calwaygolf.com. rex i know you are always looking uh for better turf interaction uh i think it was last week in the episode where i was ranting and raving about my game uh basically have, have
1: sold my clubs when's the last time you played and how did it go uh, i played two days ago with my middle son uh we had a good time it wasn't I had no problem with my turf interaction. I had problems finding anything close to a fairway, but that's 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 a very much a me problem, not a anybody else problem. I've come to understand that. I've come to accept that. You
0: still doing that nasty smother hook?
1: Oh, yeah, of course I am. Either that or it's a complete block out to the right. There's only two options in that scenario. <laughs> the,
0: one, the one where you barely make make contact with the club face uh, and just sends it weakly out uh, 150 yards to the right. Uh, I have seen that many a time. Uh, Godspeed. It sounds like you and I are both uh, in a very dire uh, place with our golf games, especially off the tee. Callaway. Callaway, hook us up. Rex, Rex can't hit a fairway. I can't keep it on the planet. Please, if you're listening, uh, we need uh, some help. Rex, you're you are in Houston. Uh, you arrived on Tuesday morning, and the first thing you did, you, were, you really hit the ground running. Uh, the European Tour is being rebranded and called the DP World Tour. Uh, on its face, this doesn't seem like a huge deal. I guess in the grand sense, you're going to see tournaments next year on the European Tour, or sorry, the DP World Tour, uh, have a purse of at least – $2 million for all DP World tournaments. You're going to see uh, five Rolex series events, the ones that we are, are all familiar with. Uh, big deal, not so big deal. What are the players uh, saying on the ground in Houston?
1: Now, don't feel bad about reverting back to the European tour. Before I went on air for my interview with Shane Lowry, that went on the early show today and will be on the late show tonight. He said he's going to have a hard time. It's always been the European tour. And during the interview, not 10 seconds later, he referred to it as the European tour. So it's going to take a little while for everyone to wrap their minds around this. Uh, I would say a medium-sized deal. And here's why. I just think the idea of a tour being rebranded is nothing new. I think the Coin Fairy tour has probably had five or six different names and iterations over the history of its lifetime. I think the bigger deal is the European tour desperately needed to win. We all know that. I mean, the pandemic has been hard on every business, but particularly the European tour business. You look at they had to take three months off because of how badly the pandemic hit there. They needed a win, and this is a good win. It gives them something to fall back on. And talking with players, if you combine that with the strategic alliance that was announced last year between the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour, this gives them a solid foundation. Along with that alliance comes three co-sanctioned events with the PGA Tour, including the Scottish Open, which you and I will gladly be at this year, enjoying ourselves. Renaissance. Terrific. Renaissance club. Uh, but no, I, I, I would argue that this is a good win for the European Tour and that they needed a good win considering the circumstances.
0: A couple interesting things uh, in reading the press release and then listening to Keith Pelly on uh, Golf Today earlier today. The total prize money on the European Tour uh, will be uh, doubling to more than $200 million. And Rex, $200 million, of course, was the number that was floated around a week or two ago when Greg Norman and this Live Golf Enterprises was announced this 10-year, $200 million alliance, essentially, with the Asian Tour to have these 10 marquee events. So $200 million. $200 million seems kind of paltry, doesn't it, for a (laughs) tour of the European Tour or DP World Tour standing? I, I mean... The PGA Tour, I believe, is over $675 million uh, in total earnings. To me, $200 million. I, I'm not sure this is necessarily going to, to woo the Henrik Stenson's and the Justin Rose's and the Lee Westwood's and Graham McDowell's of the world to come support what is going to be known as the DP World Tour when you're still dangling all of these potential riches on the Asian Tour or whatever becomes of the Saudi Golf League.
1: I don't think so either, and I, you could make the same argument about the PGA Tour's stab at whatever the Player Impact Program is. I think you can make the same argument about you know the PGA Tour's recent announcement that the purse at the Players is going up to twenty million dollars, because if the reports are that we're led to believe are true about this Super League, about the startup league, that it does kind of pale. I mean, for us to sit here and say two hundred million dollars doesn't really float. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. Is this is, we are we are we are very uh, low
0: low lying, uh, low, just lowly golf riders just scoffing at two hundred million dollars total purses. Let's yeah, let's just put this in context.
1: Yeah, that seems silly, but by comparison, yeah, I see exactly where you're coming from. I think if you're a player of a certain statute, and I think you mentioned a lot of them. I think the Henrik Stensons of the world, and the Lee Westwoods, and the Graham McDowell's, all players I talked to today, who were all happy, in justifiably so, looking forward to twenty twenty two on the dp world tour however we're still talking about an enormous amount of money if there's any truth to this whatsoever to you know to pull back the the screen a little bit i i had the opportunity to finally talk to greg norman this week about what they're trying to do and i mean the one thing well two things i walked away from that interview one is he repeated did you tell him time- did you did you did you tell him that you hated his apparel uh, I did not. I said I loved his wine, though, so I was kind of trying to make up for hating. <laughs> Come on, no one likes his apparel. I I hate to say that. He's a nice fella. Just not. Um, it's not a great fabric. I gotta. I gotta admit. Uh, he leaned into a couple of things. One of them is that there can be more than one person in the sandbox, which I thought was an interesting phrase and an interesting way for him to put it. I certainly understand where he's coming from. He, he was that the sandbox me-
0: wink? Did he say it like with with a with a twinkle in his eye, like sandbox, like? Uh, it was a phone call.
1: Uh, I, I think I I, I think I understood where he was coming from on that. And he gave a, an interesting analogy about when Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer split with the PGA of America to essentially create the PGA Tour. There was probably very similar hand-wringing and consternation at the PGA of America. And now you look, however many years later, and both organizations, the PGA Tour and the PGA of America, are both very, very successful. So I guess that was his point, that you can have more than one global tour if you want to put it that way. I I think he also... You already have that. You already have that with the European tour. Well, yeah, I guess that's why I was thinking maybe more than two global tours was probably a better way of saying it. Maybe even more than three is even a better way of saying it. Uh, I did find it interesting. I asked him point blank about his status at the QBE shootout, which is the former Shark shootout. Yes, because we we talked about this last week on the podcast. Things could get very uh,
0: sensitive in the broadcast booth with the QBE shootout coming out next month.
1: Uh, and as far as he said, he hasn't spoken with anyone from the tour since the news of Live Golf Investments has broken. He doesn't expect to speak with anyone from, from the tour. And as far as he feels like he's going to continue his duties as the host of that event for, I think it's 30 something years now. So he's been there a long time. He's a staple in that community. And obviously the event is is, surround, is sort of based on his legacy. So I would think they'd have a hard time separating the legacy from the event. Now, that being said, I don't know how. You mentioned him being in the booth during the Sunday or Saturday broadcast. I don't know how that that's allowed to happen because I just don't see the tour being on board with that. I don't know how they have a Tuesday or Wednesday press conference. I think we went over that last week, but the, the thing that I really walked away from this morning after talking with some players about this morning's announcement with the DP world tour is that all the talk that we've had in recent weeks about sort of the disruptors in golf and that's been Norman, that's been the super golf league and all of that entails it sort of dawned on me that the real disruptor in golf and everything else pretty much in life over the last two years has been the coronavirus and the pandemic and the global economic shutdown and everything else that went to that. Because if you look the way golf has had to respond and for the European tour, that means signing a very, very lucrative deal with DP world for naming rights to make their purses more appealing to players, maybe not to the players that you mentioned, but certainly to other players, the PGA tour, has also scrambled in a number of different ways. They're doing business differently. I would argue that throughout all hasn't, of this... Hasn't,
0: hasn't the tour emerged from this probably better than most sports leagues? I mean, I guess the, the NFL is really uh, seeing a renaissance this year after having some uh, fading rank-y, uh, ratings over the past couple of years. So, uh, the NFL might not be a total apples and apples of comparison. But I think the tour has actually gotten off,
1: not necessarily scot-free, but they, they look to be in a, in a pretty good position post-pandemic. No, and I would applaud everything they've done throughout the pandemic. And we've talked about this numerous times, just about they were one of the first sports leagues to return. And there were a lot of hurdles, and there were a lot of unknowns, and they did a very good job by any measure that you want to come up with. And there's also the way they do business. And I think we've seen just how they do it differently. And I, I mention that only because there is an executive that's now working for Greg Norman's Live Golf Investments. His name is Ron Cross. He's a former PGA Tour executive. He lost it. He had a corner office in Ponte Vedra. And he lost that job because of the pandemic, and the tour had to scale back. And look, every company had to scale back. And in this particular case, it just kind of shows you that the real disruptor in all of this was the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I don't think I necessarily disagree. I think in anyone's walk of life, you kind of prioritize things. It kind of crystallize what's important in that particular business. We're the same way at Golf Channel, the same way at PGA Tour someone listening at their lawn care company, like whatever the case may be, as I see like lawn care company outside my office and things get, could get very noisy on this podcast here uh, imminently. I, I just think that the pandemic in general has crystallized a lot of uh, what's important to that particular business. I am curious when you look at this big picture now with European tour becoming DP world tour, obviously they have the strategic Alliance. I think that's only strengthening. And we've seen that how 2022 is going to look even different than it did uh, in terms of um, the relationship between the PGA and what was then the European tour. Do you think that all of these little initiatives, Rex will be enough to stave off this threat? And I think the biggest threat isn't necessarily this breakaway tour. I think the biggest threat is guaranteed money. Today's superstars want guaranteed money, whether it's $25 million, $50 million, $100 million. I don't know what the number is that's going to satisfy each particular player, but that does seem like where they want this to go, where they want to be valued at a certain number, regardless of how they perform on the golf course, which is basically antithetical to everything that golf has stood for. It's the ultimate meritocracy you get what you earn. But if you look at what the PGA tour has tried to do over these past couple years, whether it's basically turning the John Deere's of the world into WGCs with the amount of purse they're going to have, or you're going to have the player's championship purse at $20 million. You have the player impact program of $40 million. I think that's probably due to even an increase in future years. There's talk now of having this fall global series with no cut, big purse events are all of those little inducements. Do you believe Enough to keep the top players on the PJ Tour, or do you still believe that the Saudis can offer something that the PJ Tour can't, and that's just a blank check and uh, money basically being bought in happiness?
1: Well, oh, and I think I keep falling back on this because it seems important to keep repeating that there have been no players who have come out publicly and said that they are signed on to this tour, and until that happens. I don't know how real of a threat, at least you and I. So it just it just, it just just
0: feels like leverage there. It just feels like either the players yes. or their agents, More in, probably more to the point, the
1: agents are trying to leverage the PGA Tour into giving their players what they want. And I don't think, I, I think players are doing that as well. I don't know that that's different than any other business, certainly not di- different than any other sport. There was a player, there was a veteran who in 20, uh, 2020, at the WGC Mexico event, and this was before the pandemic hit and shut down everything, and that was right after Roy McElroy had said his piece and said he wanted to be on the right side of history and seemed to put this to rest. He seemed to speak for the collective at the time and seemed to make this go away. I remember asking one veteran as they was leaving that it's over, right? We're Like, we're done with this, and he goes, well, no. Like, there would be no reason for us to all sit here and say it's over because for the first time, PGA Tour players now have some sort of leverage. They can turn back and go to the tour and say, no, we don't like the way this works. We want it to work that way. There is no collective bargaining agreement in golf. There is no union. There is a policy board and there's a pack, and certainly there are suggestions and there's a lot of talk on tour ranges about what should happen and what shouldn't happen. However, at the end of the day, the tour and the policy board are going to do what they want to do. So, to your point, I think I don't know that if the Super Tour ever comes to life, I, I haven't seen a player sign on to it yet. So, I'm always reluctant to say one way or the other. What I do know is one, it's going the fundamental. Concept DNA of the game is going to change. They're going to find a way to make sure the game's top players get money
0: on the PGA Tour.
1: On the PGA Tour, yes. And look, and that's a huge change. I mean that that goes against everything that the PGA Tour has ever stood for. You like you pointed out, you keep what you kill when it comes to golf, and there aren't any guarantees. It doesn't matter how good you are coming out of college. You're not signing any big fat contracts. What's the PGA Tour like? Certainly, there's equipment deals. And certainly, there's avenues to make money outside of outside of the actual competition. But when it comes to the competition, that it has always been this way. And I think as more and more top players start to realize the leverage that they now have, you're going to see that change.
0: And I do. I do also wonder fundamentally, Rex. Does that change how players approach the non majors? Let's like let's just throw let's just let's just say. Let's just say Brooks Kepka throw out a number, gets $25 million guaranteed. That seems very high for someone who's bet a lot of injuries and is basically just a major killer. If he gets $25 million, if he knows he's going to bank $25 million regardless of how he plays, does that change his interest level in playing the Houston Open or playing last week at Mayakoba or playing – I mean, there's not really WGCs left anymore, but just playing the Memorial, you, you know – are all of these players now just going to be even more hyper focused on the majors? Because they're they're gonna get theirs. You're basically just using all those other tournaments as as really big money tune-ups or or high profile practice sessions before you get to the major championships. To me, it, it almost, if you give guarantee money, it almost diminishes the
1: importance of their other fifteen to eighteen starts throughout the year. I guess it depends on how you do it. My guess is if the PGA Tour ever gets to that point in time, they're going to have to do it much more creatively than the process that you're talking about. Instead of just at the end of every season, take the top 10 players in the world ranking or the FedEx Cup points, whatever the case may be, and handing them cash and telling them that, okay, good luck next year. Instead of doing that, you probably have to find a way for the tour. To leverage what they also have which is access to the world ranking points and it's a great retirement program and there are this is going to be a two-way conversation this is going to be a negotiation when the time comes I can't imagine in in any universe that the tour just starts handing out checks to I don't know again the top 10 players as far as what the popularity polls say I just don't see that happening although that's going to happen this year at the end of the PIP program but checks to the point that it's going to be generational money. I don't see that happening. What I see is something a little bit more subtle, uh, something that's put together a l- with a little bit more thought simply because y- you are going to end up with a situation that you just pointed out that a player like a Brooks Kepka is going to be completely disinterested in the other 14 events of the year and only focus on the four. You don't want that either. Yeah,
0: it's certainly going to be very interesting. It's not, and- I think there's more to get into than just on this podcast. There's a very thin line. And I think probably most of these superstar players, and Justin Thomas has said it a million times, he doesn't care about the money. He cares about winning. He wants to beat these guys' brains in. But there's also a large sector of the PJ Tour player who just wants to get rich. And there's nothing wrong with that. And they're just playing for the money if they can't necessarily be generationally great. Uh, Rex, let's focus on the tournament that wrapped up uh, last week in Mexico. I know you were paying attention to it. Victor Hovland uh, wins for the third time on the PGA Tour and successfully defends his title in Mexico. It is interesting. So so Hovland had won in Puerto Rico. He obviously won the previous year uh, at Mayaco, but He's always needed to do something spectacular down the stretch. I think back to Puerto Rico, his much maligned short game really bailed <laughs> him out. Uh, with a couple of chip-ins there late. Uh, Last year at Mayakoba, he drained about a 30-footer on the final green to win. This time, not so much. Two-shot lead heading into the final round. Shot 67 on the last day. Basically gave none of his pursuers a a chance. Move now inside the top 10 for the first time uh, in the world ranking for the first time in his career. Still just 24 years old. How good can Victor Hovland get? And more to the point, can he challenge a player like Colin Morikawa, who's now up to number two, uh, who has two major championships under his belt and, fairly or not, is probably going to be uh, inexplicably – or in – what's the word? What's the the word I'm looking for here? Not irretrievably. It's inextricably. Inextricably inextricably. linked. Yes. He's going to be inextricably linked, Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland. Can
1: Vic get to that point? Yeah, I think he can. I think anybody's watched him play. Certainly you have. Because my two takeaways from Sunday were being happy that you were so happy. And you didn't even text me, which actually surprised me. But Saturday and Sunday with Victor. With your boy, Justin Thomas. I thought you said right you were there. smoking ribs. I didn't, I didn't want to with, bug you. I know, with your I know, boy, I know Matthew Wolf, With all of your – Scotty Scheffler was right there. Joaquin Neiman. They were all there. All of your boys. Like, all of them just in a happy coincidence, a little fivesome party. All with, with uh, Lab's name written right on their backs because he was so happy. You were just dancing along. There was no way you were going to lose because
0: one of your I don't boys know what was, happened. I don't know what happened to Wolfie. It looked like he was going to win by six or seven shots. He threw up a 74. Saturday happened. Yeah, what on... happened then? on on saturday that was more than six shots worse than the field average i i, I mean he he followed it up the next day uh with a final nice round a 65 lot. and ended up yeah. yeah finishing joint fifth um so clearly the arrow is back pointing uh up once again for matthew wolf after what's been a very difficult uh 2021 both on and off the golf course uh for well, him. Yeah, i have no talks, idea what's he's playing in here round. in houston
1: tomorrow i'm really curious uh, to hear him talk because I find him fascinating you now for all the reasons that you fell in love what do with him. You, what, do you, what do you want to ask him? Uh, I mean, his, his, his openness to address his mental health struggles and to talk about what it's like to be on the dark side. And, I mean, he talked on Sunday about coming out on the other side, on the bright side, about being happy with who you are and knowing that there's going to, come, going to be hard days, particularly in golf when you're on the road and you're young and you don't have many friends and you're sitting in hotel rooms. Like, I, there's an honesty there that I appreciate that I think that more and more players are going to start looking at and start connecting to. I think there's going to be empathy towards him, but there's also going to be sympathy because you're going to have players that are are going to realize that, oh yeah, that's what I've dealt with for the last 10 years. So I find it refreshing and I am very, very happy for him because when you think of how bad things got and good for you, I'll give you your pat on the back for getting him to open up to the media about it at Toy Ponds at the US Open. His agent did not want him to talk and you pressed the issue. And I actually think, getting it out there and talking about it now has actually been very helpful to him. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more Rex. And that
0: was what was so maddening about the situation. I'd heard, I heard whispers. I'd had people uh, within Matthew Wolf's inner circle telling me what the issues were and how it's, you know, not a physical issue was more mental. And, you know, you want to give the athlete space to work through these issues. Like you don't want to be hounding him. Like, Hey, Hey, talk to me and let's, let's talk through it. Like you're not as a reporter, you're not their psychiatrist. Like you can't necessarily help them. In some cases, I do think it is beneficial to maybe talk through some of the things that you're feeling. And certainly in Matthew Wolf's cases, he's such a gregarious uh, personality. I mean, he's, he's, he's a chatterbox. He, He just does not stop talking. And so for him to be bottled up, um, to me, just was not a good strategy. And I don't think it's any coincidence, Rex, that since he started talking on, I believe that was Wednesday of U.S. Open Week, which is when uh, I got him. I mean, his, his year has turned a corner. I mean, it's almost like a weight has, has been lifted. And watching him play that, that practice round at Torrey Pines ahead of the U.S. Open, I, I would have thought he would have shot back-to-back rounds in the 80s and bombed out of the U.S. Open. And what does he do? He's instead he's in contention for fifty four holes. There's there was just
1: a lightness to him uh, that hadn't been apparent for the past four or five months. Man, I gave you your love, and you just dove right in, breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back. You just could not stop. He is playing well because of you. I just, just, go I ahead just and no. I think he. I think he wanted to just talk to anyone. It like <laughs> I don't.
0: It it could have been me. It could have been you. It could have been a wall. It could have been a dog. It could have been the the the, the mailman. Like it literally could have been anyone but he's been he was bottled up for for months either unable unwilling uh to share his story and it's it's great to see him turn a corner cuz i think he is one of those you know dozen maybe two dozen players who are going to be familiar to the casual fan and can bring interest um outside rather than just the hardcore uh golf fan what other takeaways did you have from Mexico? For me, it was great to see Justin Thomas. He seems to be kind of turning the corner. I believe that's his third now top six finish um, in an event over his past five. I think I have that right. Three in his last five. Uh, obviously Jim bones, Mackay now on the bag as they begin that chapter together, I'm not going to pick Justin Thomas to be the 2022 PJ tour player of the year as I have Why? picked him I mean, I've picked him every each and every year over the past five um, and actually did hit on that in 2017. But he is certainly a more talented player than what we've seen this year. I think he even gave himself like a D for his grade uh, well, for he started at C for shocking here.
1: No, no, last week he started at give yourself a grade for this year. And he started at a C and worked his way back to a C minus. I don't think he got to D. I think you're the one that threw the D out there. This guy I went. would never, I would never
0: give yeah. JT a D. He won the Players Championship. I mean, he had basically just 36 great holes
1: uh, to win that Players Championship, but, but he still won the fifth biggest tournament of the year. That's all you need. Well, and then the second thing that stood out to me was Sunday. was Victor Hovland. Simply, he wins. He was dominated. It was an amazing performance. And you're right. It is interesting how he seems to play his best coming down to the wire in these events. The part that stood out to me was I was always curious how he was going to rebound from the Ryder Cup. He played well at the Ryder cup, but I can see how a young player, but he was sad. He was saddled with some bad partners. He was saddled with some terrible partners. And look, I don't know that there were that many good partners in the European team room. And he was also, you know, part of that team room, which took that loss hard. I mean, that was a historic whipping that they took. And you're always curious. Wow. He's a young player. I wonder how he's going to recover from this. And he played twice in Vegas during the fortnight. That's a thing. That's two weeks fortnight. Not the fortinet, not the the fortnight, fortnight, fortnight and he yep. tied for 44th and he tied for 18th and you're thinking all right it's it's fine it's not great so for him to bounce back and to do this and to do it in really dominant fashion as you said what he did on sat- saturday was very very impressive uh i i was impressed by that i took a lot just from okay i had a bad rider cup i'm moving on uh second place
0: at maya Club was carlos ortiz who actually uh, withdrew uh, ahead of his title defense at the Houston Open because of a left shoulder injury that's the same ailment that knocked him out of the Zozo about three weeks ago. So WD in Japan, finishes second in his native Mexico, and now a WD where you are uh, at the Houston Open. There's still plenty uh, of star power uh, this week. Sam Burns comes to mind. Scotty Scheffler keeps knocking on the door. Uh, Brooks Kepka, maybe he's going to wake out, wake up out of his fall malaise. Um, what are your kind of your storylines to watch uh, this week in the Lone Star
1: State? Did you see Brooks grinding on Thursday and Friday last week? I just saw it during the coverage. He's, I, I mean, he's pissed. Like what's He's happening? playing that's terrible. Not, he's playing yes. terrible. I mean, that's not Mister Chill. That's not. Oh, I'll figure it out when the majors roll around. That that's that's I mean, not. Blinded. I don't practice.
0: Remember remember when he said ahead of the. Open Championship, I believe
1: it was in 2019, he said that he doesn't practice. Yes, yes. I think a lot of players remember hearing that, which probably went into why the, the player of the year vote went down the way it did simply because they don't like some of, the, some of his answers sometimes. However, I will give him credit. Like, he clearly is not in a good spot, and instead of pouting or maybe doing what he might have done in previous years, he was out looking for answers in the dirt. And I think that's what the best players do. And, I, again, I'll fall back on what I said last week. I'm not going to hit the panic button until we get to Friday at the Masters. If he misses the cut, then then come talk to me, and we got an issue. If you if you're, so you're saying is if this
0: starts dripping into his major performance, that's when you're, that's when the alarm bells are going to go off. Because I mean, he still he still played awfully well in the majors. Like you have to remember that he tore up his knee about a month before the Masters, and and predictably he he missed the cut uh, at Augusta. He could he could barely walk, but the following month he went head to head with Phil Mickelson, lost to the 50-year-old on the final day. But T2 at the PGA, T4 at the U.S. Open, had another chance to win there. And then T6 at at the Open Championship while basically not doing anything uh, in between that. So is he just still that rare athlete who can just flip the switch between majors and non-majors? Because right now he seems utterly lost by what he's
1: trying to do with the golf ball. Well, he has been in his career. So if the history, if the if the body of work says anything, yes, he is that guy. And until he's not that guy, I have a hard time doubting him. That, look, you know, what you saw last week, it, it, I'm not going to say it concerned me. It surprised me to see him grinding for four hours after his round on Thursday. Four hours. He was still out there trying to find answers in the dirt. That concerns me a little bit because that's not his MO. That's not how he became Brooks Kepka. But if he's going to... To continue down this road, I guess that's the only option because he's been trying to "quote unquote" play his way out of it, and that hasn't been working.
0: I am curious how much work he is putting in uh, at home as well, because I mean, you never see a four-hour range session on Thursday at the PGA Tour ever. Like, I I mean, not for him. I don't care. Does
1: it to this day? But yes, not four hours. Oh, he literally did. Waited four hours. Yes, he does yes he does
0: four hours what i mean bryson bryson never goes more than two like i've trust me i've done some some range vigils with with bryson i've done i've done more than more than a, a, a sane man should but he never goes four hours like that almost seems like that almost seems like brooks was trying to make up for lost time
1: Make up for lost time. Maybe punish himself a little bit. I mean, that's what I do. You asked me how I'm playing golf. You know what I did right after the round the other day? I went straight to the range and punished myself with even oh, more bad Oh, see, no.
0: Like, I hate I hate practicing. I'd much rather go hit golf shots and try to figure it
1: out that way. I'd much rather just like, play. I hate did you not smoke anything range. last week? Oh, you did. Chili. You sent me the picture.
0: Oh, smoked chili was absolutely uh, fantastic. Rex, we are in a full Thanksgiving prep uh, mode. I think I'm going to do a test turkey uh, this weekend. I've got a bunch of other things um, on the grill. We're doing like two Thanksgivings this year. We're doing one up at Reynolds, but we're not having it during the actual holiday, so we don't have a super spreader family reunion. And then we're gonna have like a friend, like an actual friends Thanksgiving on Thursday. This guy Rex, I got, I got to just be honest with you. So we we moved here a couple months ago. We've you know we we've been making some friends. And this guy, I'm going to leave his name out. He, he said he has smoked turkey breasts, but he has not done a full smoked turkey. Uh, Rex, those are the exact, it's the exact same process. You, you brine the turkey, you air dry the turkey in the fridge, you inject the turkey, you season the turkey, and then you smoke it. It's the exact same whether you do a whole turkey or whether you do just the turkey breast. But this guy is ref- he's hosting Thanksgiving. He is refusing to do a whole smoked turkey, and now we have a bit of a now we have a bit of a conundrum. You, of course, have done smoked turkey, have you not? I have. Yes, I'm not a crazy person. I would I did the whole smoked turkey. Like it's not. It's really not that hard. Like, is there is there a lot of work? Yeah, like Uh, I always want to do. I always always batch cock it. Like it's there's more work. You got to get a brine solution. Like you got to find a bucket. Like yeah, it's more work. I wouldn't say it's hard.
1: I wouldn't say it's hard to smoke a turkey. I mean, you need to understand that you're not the norm. That that you take things that you you always take things when it comes to those smokers of yours, the twelve smokers that you own. Two steps too far than what the normal person would want to do. Don't don't host Thanksgiving if you're not planning to smoke the turkey oh okay
0: all right i get it so if you go big don't go home is that what you're saying if you're not if you're not going to go big stay home stay home. home and we can have our own like i this this wasn't my idea to have all these families get together like i was actually looking forward to doing my whole smoking routine here what's
1: are you guys going to new orleans We are not going to New Orleans, so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. I think you know what it's funny. We're going to do. We're going to end up camping up by your neck of the woods, up in St. Augustine and Anastasia State Park. So we're looking forward. Oh, why don't you why don't you come over for A smoked turkey breast, not a smoked turkey. What am I a crazy person?
0: I mean, the next the next day, the next day, I'm going to smoke one because I figure if he's just going to do a turkey breast and he's doing them in there, we're not going to have leftovers. That's what I want to gnaw on uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, especially during the college football rivalry weekend. what are, where are you going to go out to eat this week? Jimmy G's used to be my place in Houston. I used to cover this tournament a lot when I, didn't, when I couldn't get a master's credential. Those were very sad days. Uh, and so I always covered the Houston tournament leading into the master's. Obviously, now it is not that time in the schedule. But there was a place named Jimmy G's. Uh, it was a little bit run down, uh, a little bit janky, uh, but absolutely terrific uh, Cajun food. And oh, that place, I believe, had terrific. I, I believe okay. that place has shuttered, uh, which is very
1: sad. Uh, well, it's different this year. It moved to Memorial Park, which is more downtown. Uh, and it's a very cool public golf course. So I give the, the Houston folks 100% credit for what they've actually done with this event. And, and all the players, and we're staying kind of in that Galleria area. And there's a ton of good restaurants. I don't know where I'm going to visit, but I'll have, I'll have an update for you on next week's pod. I promise.
0: Like you wouldn't think that Houston would be home to terrific Cajun seafood, uh, but Jimmy G's uh, RIP. We miss you. Uh, if the owner is listening, um, that place meant a lot to us. And I would appreciate it if you brought back uh, those seven ninety nine 99 uh, dozen char grilled oysters uh, Rex. Uh, hope you have a good week in Houston. Look forward to catching up with you before uh, your sixth major. Uh, which is the RSM Classic next week in Sea Island, the final event? Woohoo! We made it of the 2021 PJ Tour calendar year. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We will talk to you next week.